Well, uh, let me start with this word. This is the word that I'm going to be focusing on today. And uh, the word is reception. I'm going to think of three different usages of the word reception. And uh, the first one of these came to mind uh, when I was up at uh, Narellan this morning, uh, having a look at the 50-metre queue for seafood. Was anyone in that queue? Uh, there were some amazing responses uh, on my Facebook page when I posted this from people saying, oh, we went at 6am, no lines. And I'm like, wow, if you're, if you're doing anything at 6.30 in the morning, power to you. You deserve to have no lines uh, for fish. So, uh, but, but one of the things that happens, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but you go to the shops and you sort of go, well, we'll go this way and uh, you, know, you, you go that way and then we'll meet up again. And it's one of those moments where you really want to make sure reception's happening because uh, what is the worst thing? You, you pull your phone out and it says those dreaded words, no service. There's no reception and you're like, I have no idea where my significant other is right now. And I have no idea how to come back together again. I could head to the car, but I don't remember what level it's on. It's, uh, it's a, when, when we're out of reception, we're in big trouble. Uh, it, another, another example, you might be at the station waiting for someone to come pick you up. No, no service, you're in big trouble. Or, hypothetically, someone riding a bike could have a flat tyre, hypothetically, <laughs> and need to call for help from their significant other and uh, have no reception. In which case, great grief and gnashing of teeth ensues. Uh, but yeah, reception. We, we want to know that we can get a signal out, that somewhere someone will hear us. And I think with that in mind, I think over the course of the last year, you might have wondered with me, what's God's reception like? What's God's reception like? And if you haven't uh, had that question, let me remind you what this year has looked like. Uh, we started off with Paris. We've had the open sore that is Syria and Aleppo, haven't we? Just running throughout the whole year. Yemen, various other places around the world where there is, without any shadow of a doubt, suffering and hardship and horror. And that's at the global level. We can bring that in tighter though, can't we? We can bring it down to the family level and you and I, over the course of this past year, will have suffered grief. We will have lost people that we love. Some of us here will have had private struggles that no one here, no one here is aware of. Things that have happened in our own lives that no one else is aware of but have caused us to ask the question, God, do you get me? Are you picking up on the other end of this phone? Because when I pray, have you heard? I think over the course of this year, we can wonder, is God too far away to hear? And once we start casting our eyes up and thinking about the heavens, how vast they are, it's a fair question, isn't it? I mean, in all this vast array on our little speck in the universe, does God hear me? Does he care about me? Does he know my hardship, my struggle, my suffering? I think the question's a real one. And I want to think tonight, as, as, we, as we reflect on Christmas, I want to think tonight, we, we're going to talk tonight about, about this, about this, this feed trough. We're going to talk about the fact that it was filled 
Maybe not on Christmas Eve if you've done your Googling. It, it, it probably wasn't the 24th of December. But we're going to say that this, this feed trough in, in, a, in a shed was filled. And we're so familiar with it, we're so used to it, that, that I think we've, we, we lose it. And so I want, to, I want to ask you just briefly tonight to consider, have you thought about what it could have looked like for the God of the universe to come to earth? What it could have looked like, not, not what we already know. And, and I, I went to the movies a couple of months ago and, uh, and saw Arrival. Has anyone here seen Arrival? Okay. It's a movie about aliens coming to earth. And I thought about it, I thought some vastly superior intelligence, more powerful than we could possibly imagine, coming to earth. How do they come? Well, they come in a spaceship because they need to occupy their own atmosphere. And then when they land, there's all this difficulty in trying to work out how do we communicate even. Vastly superior intelligence come to earth. And what's the first problem? I don't know how to say hi. We, we don't know how to communicate at all. You're so different from us, we don't even know where to start. Or, or maybe when we actually get there, when we actually meet this other, the truly terrifying part is that they are so different from us that we just think, how could you ever relate? How could you ever relate to me? How could you ever get me? And so I want you to think tonight what it could have been like for the supreme being, the one who made the heavens and the earth to come to earth. What could it have looked like? Instead, it's not a sci-fi movie. It's real history. It's real geography. In somewhere between 4 and 6 BC, amazing, isn't it? BC. Before Christ, Jesus was born. How about that? apparently there was a mathematical error when the guy was kind of calculating out when Jesus was born and we've kind of gone with that and our calendars. So, so here we are. Je- Jesus was born somewhere between f- 6 and 4 BC in, in a town called Bethlehem, in a place called Palestine, in an otherwise unremarkable backwater of the Roman Empire. We're saying that this happened. It's not very impressive, is it? Where's my spaceship? Where's, where's all the, the, the awe and wonder of, of this foreign technology? Well, no, it was a womb in a stable with animals and I assume a good deal of blood. And I'm not sure how silent the night was when Mary was giving birth. I've been present at a few. It's not too quiet. But it was real. And the outcome wasn't an alien. It was this profoundly recognisable thing. A human baby. The God-man, Jesus Christ, came into the world. And what I want you to see afresh tonight, what I want you to see afresh is how vulnerable it is to enter into the world as a baby. Is there anything in this world more vulnerable than a baby? I mean, literally, you leave them alone and they're going to stop living. They, they can't work it out. They, they don't know how to do it. We have to change them. We have to feed them. We have to make sure they're lying on their backs and not their tummies. 
We, my sister's just had, had, had uh, a beautiful little baby, and now we've got these monitors. Have you seen them with the TV screen? If you're old school, you don't know what I'm talking about. But I, I just saw one, and I went, what is this? She's wandering around with a thing in her pocket, and, and you can watch on the video to make sure your little kid's doing okay. And there are ones with temperature sensors, and anyway, I don't know, it's, it's all gone crazy. But here's the thing. How incredibly vulnerable is it for the God of the universe to enter into human history in one particular point in time in flesh? And not adult flesh. He could have just beamed down fully formed. Greetings. Pay attention to what I'm about to say and do. I'm about to disappear. Here's a CD. You can read about it. Could have. Didn't. Came as a baby to grow up. In a town. It's, it's an extraordinary thing. So, so vulnerable, and I want to say, how humble. How humble. He could have, God could have just said, look, we've got the basic shape of human beings worked out. We're just going to pump you up a little bit. We're going to turn that knob up to about 11. We're going to make you 12 foot high. And you look at me and you think I'm crazy. All I'm saying to you is, God is coming into the world. He could have done anything, couldn't he? Yeah. Baby. So vulnerable, so humble. I I just think it's the most extraordinary thing ever. This is what it says in Philippians in that reading. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So Jesus said, I will come. I will put on flesh and blood. I will become vulnerable. I will humble myself to their level. I think it's extraordinary. So what sort of likeness is this? And I spent some time thinking this week about what does it mean for Jesus to come in flesh, to be a real human? Well, here's some thoughts. Jesus knows intimacy. Is there anything more intimate than breastfeeding your baby? Mary must have, mustn't she? Jesus knows that intimacy because he wore human flesh. Jesus knows loss. He loved and he lost friends who died. We're told nothing of Joseph after the Christmas narrative. Did you know this? We don't hear anything else of him. And so he must know what it is to lose his father. Friendship. Jesus knew real friendship. He must have grown up as a boy kicking stones on his way to synagogue with the other boys. I assume he kicked them a little bit further. Who knows? Don't know. But he would have stubbed his toe. He would have got dusty and dirty. He would have had real friends. He gets what it is to have friends. He knows what it is to be tested and tempted. The devil came and said to Jesus, you can, short cross this, you can shortcut this whole cross thing. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything you came to earth to have. Just bow down to me and it'll be fine. Jesus knew testing. Jesus knew work. We're told that his dad was a carpenter. And so, because he didn't start the ministry until he was about 30, we assume he had 20 years or so of doing a trade. Isn't that extraordinary? You know, when you're thinking in the traffic, you're just thinking, God, you've got no idea what this is like. Have you seen Norellan Road? 
And here's the thing. Jesus, day after day after day, would have worked with his dad, done a job, a real job to help support his family. Jesus in flesh means that he knows what it is to wait. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth to die for us. But he had to grow up. He had to teach. He had to preach. And all of that took time. If I was God, I would have hit the fast-forward button. I said, this is a bit boring. Who wants to go through puberty? Fast-forward that bit. So here's the thing. He must know what it is to wait. He must know what it is to wait. Devastatingly, but deeply encouragingly for you and I, he must know what it is to suffer. Now, I apologise for those of you who haven't seen an image like this before. My kids wandered in while I was working on this presentation, and my son said, what is that? I said, mate, I'm so sorry, this isn't for you, it's for the adults. Jesus was flogged, and then he was crucified. He was, he was rejected by the people he came to save. He knows what suffering is. And then more extraordinary than all of that, the God who made life knows what this is. He knows death. And not just from afar, but personally on the cross, Jesus died. The one who took flesh and blood also took his last breath. It's extraordinary. It's called the incarnation. God incarnate. God taking on flesh. There's our word for the day. Don't worry, I won't won't give you any more words than that. But incarnation, taking flesh upon himself. And I want to tell you tonight, it's glorious. It's extraordinary that the God of the universe would be incarnate. That he would come and live like one of us. Extraordinary and glorious. Here's how uh, one of those amazing uh, saints, uh, 400 AD, this is what he wrote. Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, that the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer be wounded, that life might die. It's wonderful. We can know that God hears and understands us because love came down. There is no experience you have had that Jesus will not understand by virtue of his years on earth. His flesh bearing means he gets us. He hears us. He understands us. Well, the first reception was, is there anyone on the end of this line? The second reception is, what sort of reception did Jesus receive? In other words, how did people welcome him when he came? The first thing that we see, and I'd love you to open your Bibles at this point. Uh, We're going to have a look at Luke chapter 2. The first thing we see is something to do with angels. And so in verses 8 to 14 of chapter 2, we hear this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. I'm in verse 9. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse, verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, what happened when Jesus turned up was something extraordinary. The extraordinary thing that happened was that heaven, heaven itself, the messengers of heaven chose to voice their praise to God. He was exalted by the mightiest in heaven. I don't know if Jesus had a farewell party, not sure. But did you know that Jesus existed before he was incarnate? This is weird, right? Going to mess with your head. So he was with his father in heaven and then he was born in a manger. And heaven, I think this is heaven's farewell party. They cannot help it. They're like, do you see this guy? He's amazing. And so there's a whole company of the heavenly host. What's a host? Army. The heavenly army comes out and these mighty spiritual creatures, these angels, just pour forth praise. They can't help it. They pour forth praise fourth praise. He is exalted by the mightiest in heaven. On the flip side, there are some guys down on the ground. And uh, shepherds, if you didn't know, um, they're not the kind of top-rung people in society. Okay? They're the people that you kind of go, look, uh, a little bit busy in the carpentry area at the moment, stonemasons. We can give you some animals. If you'd go a long way away with the animals and look after them, that would be great. So here they are, the least, the least. And here's what it says. When the angels had left them, incidentally, the angels spoke to them. That's really cool, isn't it? So the angels said, well, we don't think you're the least. We're going to tell you the best news in human history. We're going to tell it to you first. You've got the inside running. Tweet that, guys. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So he was exalted by the mightiest in heaven and he was visited by the least on earth. What... what, Isn't that the whole transition? The whole transition is the glorious king of the universe comes to earth and how's he received? By the least on earth. And here's the third mob I think it mentioned in uh, in this little passage here, his parents. Now, incidentally, I absolutely love this picture. Um, If you don't know already, uh, when people do the nativity scene, they always do it in their own culture. Isn't this cool? So, of course... Jesus was Chinese. You didn't know that, did you? But there he is. And if you, if you seriously, if you go and Google it, he'll be Mexican. Uh, he'll be, and that's, I think that's entirely appropriate, okay? He was Palestinian, and he didn't look anything like that. But it's no less like that than our white Anglo-Saxon one that we often get around with either. So I just thought I'd put that up there. But, but let's think about his parents, who I think are truly extraordinary, and we'll see them in, uh, in verse 19. So we've got angels, we've got shepherds, and then we just get this beautiful little glimpse into this amazing woman, Mary. 
It says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's so humble and understated, isn't it? What did Mary do? That was it. Her response was, wow, how about that? A report of angels, a visitation from some stinky shepherds, and here's my little boy. How remarkable. I love that Jesus knew what it was to be loved, cherished, looked after, cuddled when he was cold, crying. He knew it because he was loved by the closest. Extraordinary. The Son of God was loved and brought up by human parents. Just extraordinary. Love came down, and in these three pictures in that passage there, we can see how to respond. We can see how we should respond. Well, what about his ultimate reception? There's a third way you can use the word reception. Has anyone been to one of these? And I love, I love that this photo is, um, is a bit blurry and, and kind of uh, shaky because that's how it is. You have that kind of long period after the wedding where they go and take a million photos. That's kind of still the thing, isn't it, these days? Photo city. And then, eventually, when everyone's kind of cleaned out the nibbles, then they sweep in and it's on for the real food. And, and as they're coming in, we're going to go, what sort of reception will this be? The food so far has been mediocre. I'm looking forward to getting onto the mains, right? What sort of reception will this be? Well, amazingly, the Bible tells us that the church is Jesus' bride. That he came, didn't just stay in this manger, he grew up, he died on the cross to win himself a group of people called the church who he loves as his bride. And more than that, the Bible tells us that one day Jesus will return for his bride. Love came down and we're told that one day Jesus, who died on the cross yet was raised to life again, who is now sitting at his Father's right hand, we're told one day he's going to come back. And what I want you to think about tonight is what sort of reception will you give him? What sort of reception will you give him on that amazing wedding day? So how do we receive Jesus today? Love came down and our reception matters. It matters what we do with the fact that God sent his son. Well, the first one is we can follow the angel's response. And so today, we're singing, and we sang some great songs before. I want you to be overwhelmed with joy at Christmas because something extraordinary happened. And the angels show us the lead. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. I think it included women, but that's the one we always say, isn't it? Peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. That's, that's got to be good news. So we should be filled with joy. Secondly, I think we should be like the shepherds. We should be filled with awe. Wow, the God of the universe came down. What was he thinking? How could he, how could he ever conceive of being so vulnerable as that? What an extraordinary thing to do. We should be blown away. We should be filled with awe. Thirdly, I think we should respond like his parents, with faith. God, we're your servants. Help us to trust you and do with your son what you would have us do. Joy, awe, and faith. Some of us aren't quite there yet, though. Uh, Some of us will be here tonight and thinking, 
uh, I'm here because you brought me. And you might be thinking, I didn't know very much about this whole Jesus thing. And so I want to tell you three things that we would love to encourage you to do. First of all, we've got a present for you sitting on the back, uh, the back table there. It's called The Essential Jesus. And I would love for you to check out what happened next. Uh, from the manger, we've had chapter 2 read for us. We've got an account of the rest of Jesus' life called The Essential Jesus sitting on a back uh, table just there. Our gift to you. Take it. It'll take you 50 minutes to read. Check it out. I think it's the best news the world's ever heard. Uh, maybe a more involved one. In the new year, in February, we're going to run a course called Jesus for the Curious. And in that course, we invite people to bring their doubts, their questions, and to sit down with us and go, is that really true? Is that really true? And if tonight you're still in that doubting category, guess what I'd love to say? Come and talk. Come and engage with us and investigate Jesus as we do Jesus for the Curious in the new year. Thirdly, uh, you might like to begin a habit. You're here tonight, uh, why not come back again? Uh, and join us as you find, you can find out more about the one who is the saviour of the world. And uh, I was going to say, we have pretty good reception here because we've got a big antenna. Yep, it was as poor as I intended it to be, that's good. Uh, we, look, you're very welcome, you're very welcome. As you can see, uh, we're not perfect here. Uh, we, you saw the, uh, the, the jingle jangle Jesus happen. But we're a group of people who think Jesus is the most important person in the world and we would love you to know, to fall in love with, to put your trust in this extraordinary, extraordinary person, Jesus Christ. Love came down. Here's how John says it and we're going to finish with these words. In John's account of Jesus' life, he opens with this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the extraordinary news that you dared to come to earth. Father, we thank you for your vulnerability. We thank you that you get us because you took flesh and blood. Father, you know what it is to be tired. You know what it is to be overwhelmed. You know what it is to feel the weight of grief and loss. Father, I thank you that your son Jesus also showed us hope, that his miracles reversed this broken world, that his resurrection gives us life, hope of life beyond death. And we thank you, Father, that his death on the cross paid the price for our sin, that we can be forgiven. Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you that love came down. Amen.